This is Ballin' with the Bison, your home for everything you need to know about Bucknell women's basketball. Shovel out, Allie Johnson from 30 feet. Oh my! On the drive, shot blocked by Cap. And the ball game is over. The Bucknell Bison hang on for a humongous victory. Rebound, Tessa Brugler puts it on the floor once, goes up, bucket good, and the foul. Three-point play coming up for Tessa Brugler. Three seconds left, the Bucknell Bison are Patriot League champions in the 2019-2020 season. And now, here's your host, Joe Basile. And welcome into this very first episode of the season of Fallen with the Bison. I'm your host, Joe Basile, radio play-by-play voice for Bucknell Women's Basketball, and just so unbelievably excited to be back and doing this again one more time here in the 2021-22 season. After just how crazy things were last year, the idea that even though we're not going to be back to normal fully this year, there's there's still going to be... Uh, challenges because of the virus, the fact that we're at least as close as we can be now, having a full non-conference, a a full preseason, everything like that. It just feels so good to be back at it, and uh, I hope everyone out there listening is as excited for this season as I am. That being said, it's going to be a really interesting season, I think, for Bucknell women's basketball We know with the graduations from last year, whether it was Tessa Brugler, Abby Cap, Allie Johnson, or Autumn Seppi, there are going to be big voids to fill on this team, both on the court and off the court. There's a lot of young talent on the team, and when you look at the roster, you just get really excited about watching these student-athletes improve throughout the year and, and what the growth process for everyone in the program is going to be this season. Talk a little bit about that with Bucknell head coach Trevor Woodruff. Had a chance to catch up with the head coach of the Bison, now entering his third season at Bucknell Media Day last week. And it was a wide-ranging conversation about just expectations for this season, some things on each of the classes, the seniors, the juniors, the sophomores, and of course the freshman class get to meet uh, some of them a little bit too. We'll meet all the student-athletes throughout the year on this show, but first, Let's start with the guy in charge, Trevor Woodruff. Obviously a lot to to think about and process as we get ready for this 2021-22 season. But I guess kind of the first and probably most important thing is just, you know, after everything, the last 18 months, you know, last year and, and the end of, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, how good does it feel to be going into a season where things are at least somewhat close to being back to normal not fully but at least we're we're getting close to being there finally well i I certainly we've made progress um it still lingers out there you know folks are still going to have to sit out if they if they get the virus so some of that's still out there but certainly we're in a much better place than we were last year with all the quarantining and and things of that nature so you know we're excited about that we're excited to play in front of people get some energy back into soika all those things are positives and so you know we just count ourselves as blessed to to still be here still kicking still playing and 
uh, hopefully we can you know we can put a quality product out there and 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 treat the people right that show up in soika you know not to not to necessarily linger on last year and the way things kind of ended but did it almost take a little longer for the i guess the sadness the the frustrations with just everything to to go away than a regular season just because of the extenuating circumstances a lot of which were were kind of outside the team's control kind of with just the way that, that everything ended up going down. Yeah, I would say it was 100% outside of their control, which was the most frustrating thing. Uh, our ladies worked as hard and were as diligent at following the protocols as anybody could be, um, yet we, we spent, in some cases, 40-plus days in quarantine. And in some cases, those players never even had COVID. And so, you know, my feelings following – I really had two, two main feelings following the loss – uh, in, in the semifinals last year. The first was just disappointment. You know, you're always disappointed that you, you couldn't be your best on that particular day. Um, but my, my biggest feeling after was really just sadness for the players. Um, you know, it really was an example of just life just isn't fair. And the sooner you realize that, maybe the less disappointed you'll be in those moments. But those women, uh, the senior class in particular, spent two years... Um, on the best basketball team in the Patriot League and didn't get a just outcome, in my opinion. They, they, they didn't get a chance to show what they had in the biggest moments, whether it was the first year when COVID started or last year, um, you know, with a 35-day layoff between games. Just, I really felt bad for them, felt bad that their experience went the way that it did. And, um, you know, now it's just a matter of, of picking up and moving on, but I don't think I'll ever, you know, lose the feeling that for those kids and what they missed out on. And obviously, for for that senior class now now gone, a, a big void both on and off the court to to have to fill. Looking at this year's seniors and Taylor O'Brien and Marley Walls, how have you seen them kind of at least step up from, especially a leadership standpoint, to try to to kind of fill that void? Yeah, I think the biggest thing with those two is that it forces them to get out of their comfort zone. You know, we've really demanded that they become vocal when I'm not sure that's their 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 kind of factory setting, so to speak. Um, because, as you said, we, we didn't just lose talented players. We lost the voice and, in some cases, the heartbeat of the team. Those four really set the tone. Um, and so now it's those two. And it, but it's not just those two. We've really challenged everybody from the seniors right down through the junior class and even into the sophomores to set a tone to, to, to kind of occupy that space and not be afraid to get out of their comfort zone, be vocal, and take on some of that responsibility. It shouldn't just be the seniors. Um, we happen to have two that are doing a great job, but it shouldn't be just them. We've seen over the last couple of years Taylor O'Brien really develop into you know an all-league caliber player when you look at you know what is going to need to be asked of her this year where have you know you and the coaching staff been kind of pushing her to to continue to elevate her game and and continue to improve in order to to have the team success this year yeah so the biggest thing that I've asked of Taylor is not necessarily to focus on um, shooting better dribbling better all that stuff because I think you know, she does that at a very high level, and that's stuff we're going to work on anyway. Where I want her to put her focus is um, on making the players around her better. Um, we all know 
the danger she presents to a defense when the ball's in her hands. We need everybody else to now be dangerous when the ball is in her hands. And so that's the next step for her to becoming potentially the player of the year. She's proven to be a first-team, all-conference player. Can she be the best player in the league? I think in order for that to happen, she's got to become a complete player, which is going to require her to now um, get everyone else involved. And that's, I'm guessing, also just part of the adjustment of now she's going to be top of everyone's scouting report. They're guarding the defense around how do we slow her down. Do you think that that will almost kind of help her in elevating everyone else just because she's going to have to? Well, we'll see. I mean, we keep preaching like you can't do it on your own. Uh, you're a great first pitch, and you're going to always be the first pitch, but we, we need a, a couple more couple more options, and so that's going to require you to, to hang in there and understand that some of those options are going to be very young people who are going to make mistakes. You can't lose faith. You can't lose trust. They've got to know that you believe in them, and so, that you know, it sounds like cliche, but we just keep preaching those things to her, uh, both in front of and behind the scenes, in front of the team, behind the scenes, like, can't do it yourself. I can't do it yourself. Can't do it. And, and I think she understands that. And it's only going to get better as the year goes on. As far as Marley, obviously last year was still in the, the coming back from, from the injury she suffered as a sophomore. What can we expect to see, you know, from her now that, again, that's, that's an injury that's a year and a half in the past. And, you know, last year being a, just the weird year that it was, you know, what are the expectations for, for what she can contribute on the court this year? So my expectations for Marley are really high. Um, I think last year was, you know, almost a situation where you just take it and, and flush it. Like coming off the knee, the COVID, everything just made it very, very difficult. Um, you know, this year she's settled in as our starting point guard. We need her to run the team, organize the team. She's got to be able to make plays for other people, make open jump shots. All the things you kind of think of from a, a typical true point guard we need, we need her to do. And I really think we're going to see a more consistent player. I think even last year, which was a challenge, you still saw some flashes of it. I think this year we're going to see a consistent, steady, uh, trustworthy leader, um, lead guard that uh, we've all kind of expected and, and assumed she would be. Yeah, you know, the timing of the knee injury a couple of years ago, it felt like the, the couple games leading into it, and especially in that Holy Cross game, that just really starting to hit a stride and, and settle into a good comfort zone, and it just kind of really happened it, a bad time for her and I mean there's never a good time for for an injury like that but uh it, it kind of felt you know a, a little bit that way um when you look at Carly Kershaw also someone who you know has been more of a role player in her first two years now is the top option down in the post how have you seen just her grow I know she made big strides going into her sophomore year last year what have you seen from her so far uh, so I, I think you're right. Like Carly is the most veteran, most experienced um, post player that that we have. We're going to lean on her heavily. I expect her to be an all-conference caliber player um, by the end of the season. You know, it, it, if we have success, it's going to be because she's raised the level of her game. Um, you know, I I don't know how else to put it, but she, obviously her role has become much bigger for us now. What does that mean? Starting, coming off the bench, all that stuff. I don't know. We're trying to figure out how can we play her 30 minutes a game and still have her ready to go the last three or four when it's winning time, um, knowing that she's going to have to play the other biggest players in the league without fouling, which is hard to do. So we're weighing all those things, but there's no question. If we have success this year, it's going to be in large part due to her development and her ability to 
uh, be consistent and give us an interior scoring threat on a nightly basis. Might we see more four, maybe even five guard sets this year just because of the the constitution of the team? 100%. I think uh, certainly four guards will be the primary makeup of our rotations. Um, You know, we really only have, with the injury still, uh, Nicole Davis not back from injury, we still really only have two true kind of inside players. Um, so playing them together is difficult when you consider foul trouble and, and the other, you know, having to sub for one another. So um, we're going to look different. Um, hopefully the, the nuts and bolts of who we are and, what, and how we do things doesn't change, but what we do is going to change. You know, we, we, can't, we can't play the exact same way we did because the roster just doesn't uh, line up to play that style. Yeah. How does that affect defensively? what you know this team has really done well over the last couple of years do you have to change things up or is it more just all right the system is what it is and it's going to be able to you know withstand some different pieces of the puzzle all within you know the the same basic framework yeah i think again we're not as we're not as robust around the rim as we've been um you know most cases we've had three kids on the floor at any time who were six foot or bigger um who had some some veteran muscle to them um, that's not going to be the case this year. So I really feel like our perimeter defense is going to have to be better than it's been, and it's been really good. It's going to have to be even better because if, if the perimeter defense isn't bad, it's going to put our interior folks at such uh, a disadvantage um, that's going to be difficult for us um, to maintain any kind of fluidity with foul trouble and everything else. So we're really focused. We're, we're not going to change how we play. Uh, we're just going to maybe emphasize a few things a little differently or a little more knowing that we're not as stout around the rim. Also along that, how does the three point line moving back, does that affect defensive positioning within where the kind of the pack is or does it kind of just stay in that same spot and you, you kind of say, all right, well, if you're going to shoot now, you get to take an extra foot back and shoot from there. Well, no, it changes. I think you're right on both counts. I, I think it's going to change across the country. Um, you know, those players who could kind of shoot a three, all of a sudden are not shooters anymore. Um, the best the best shooters are going to still be the best shooters. But I do think it limits the number of folks who are as consistently a threat out there. Um, and so we'll see. But it also changes the defense. You know, how much space you have to guard has changed. And so we'll see how, how it affects us over the course of the season. Um, but I, I certainly know it's changed some of the things that we do. So I'm assuming it is doing the same across the country. Among the returners, who, who's kind of really, you know, in your eyes, taken the biggest steps forward? I'm sure everyone's improved a little bit, but, you know, who, who have you kind of, you know, noticed even right off the bat of like, okay, this person has kind of really taken their game to the next level and, and this may be poised for somewhat of a breakout this year? Yeah, so I, I would, I, rather than name one person, I would say, you know, for us, we're really focused on the junior class. We, we need them to really emerge as as not just role players anymore, but like main rotation um, players who are deciding whether you win or lose, right? Because they've been fortunate. They, they've gotten to kind of go along and get their minutes when they came, but we weren't winning and losing based on what they did necessarily with the bulk of the minutes going to those veteran players the last two years. So um, we've really we're really focused on them taking that next step to becoming – um, those main rotation folks, and I think they're, they, they've 
shown the ability to do that. And so we just want to keep pushing, don't let them get comfortable and, and stay the same. And so those three three juniors, Kersel and Emma Schaefer and Ty Johnson, we really expect them to make big strides. And then, of course, the sophomore class, too. They, they had, obviously, a, almost a freshman year that you could throw out the window because it's not the, the traditional thing. Like, what's the process been of just getting them acclimated to now what normal college basketball and, and the routine here in the fall looks like? So they're Sinos, right? Yeah. Uh, sophomores in name only. Um, they, uh, they really didn't get a freshman season for two reasons. One's obviously COVID, no summer, no preseason games where you can afford to put the young folks out there and let them learn and make mistakes, uh, potentially even lose a game or two as a result. Um, and then the second reason is that they sat behind all conference players. So they just didn't have great opportunities. And so in a lot of ways, they are still freshmen. Um, if you look at the number of games played on a roster, uh, the seniors have combined to play 133. The rest of the roster, so the other 10, have combined to play 113. So do the math. That's 10 players, 113. That's about 11 games apiece, um, which isn't a whole lot. And that counts three freshmen who've played zero. So it's going to be a challenge all year long. And uh, I think, again, that's why I'm optimistic. We can handle ourselves and get through the ups and downs early part of the season. By the end, we could be a formidable team because these young folks should only get better. And then, of course, the freshman class as well. It, you know, I know Cecilia Collins is a local player coming in, a great career at Scranton Prep, and is someone that I know you've said time and time again there's, there's a lot of high hopes for, but then also Remy Sisselman, Isabella King, both coming in as McDonald's All-American nominee. Like, on paper, looks like a great class, but you know, what have you seen from them in practice so far about you know, kind of where they're at heading into this season? So I think we were very optimistic uh, about them, and, and they've proven um, that our initial expectations were, were accurate. I think all three are going to help us early. Um, I think you, you'll see one, if not more, in, the, in potentially the starting lineup, but certainly in the main rotation you're going to see probably all three of them. Um, I think they give us good versatility, good positional um, interchangeability, flexibility. Um, they can all pass, shoot, and dribble. Um, really, the biggest question is, can they defend on a consistent basis, which is always the biggest hurdle for our young players. Um, they're used to being a threat on offense, uh, but in some cases they're not forced to play defense because they, their coach needs them to get 20 points a game. So um, that's not the case for us. You know, We, we need them to, to be dependable defensively and on the glass and offensively just let it come to them. You know, they're not the first option. They don't have that pressure. Just kind of figure out what your role is and be the best at that role you can be. Coming into Ohio State, you know, right now obviously we're sitting here talking about this a week ahead of time, but, you know, how do you feel about just where the team is from a mindset standpoint, getting ready to play, and then, you know, looking at a, a non-conference where what, the first six games are are all away from Soika Pavilion, so it's a kind of a tough, yeah. a tough run right out of the gate. So I think there's a mix of monotony and excitement. Um, you know, we've been doing the same things pretty much uh, since July uh, in preparation for for the season. Obviously, an opportunity to go play a Big Ten opponent, Big Ten arena. Um, I know Emma Schaefer's really excited to get back home. Uh, she's got a big contingent of family and friends that'll be. So there's a lot of a lot of things to be excited about, but. You know, we keep pressing upon them 
uh, that today is the most important day. Let's focus on that. The Buckeyes will be there soon enough. Uh, we need to make sure we're as ready as we can be, and looking too far ahead doesn't get us any more ready. What, I guess, at this point are always kind of those finishing touches that you're, you're looking to put on heading into the season, it just from practice-wise, you know, as you progress and you add more and more in, like, what are always kind of those, those last things that typically come together before a season? Well, it's different every year. I mean, um, you know, you use the non-conference to kind of show you what, what are you good at, what are you not good at. You know, and so you're constantly reevaluating almost on a daily, if you know, weekly, if not daily basis of where are we and what do we need to do. And so, you know, we've had some of that with our preseason scrimmages. Um, and I don't think there's any question that there's some things we're doing decent and other things that we are not. And so that's what we continue to focus on. Most of the most of those things that we are not doing well ha- don't have to do with talent, which is good. Um, you know, if, if you get through the season and you're looking around saying, we just don't have good enough players, that's a major problem. I think we have talent. It's just a matter of getting them up to speed fast enough to where we can be competitive in some of these non-conference games against bigger bigger opponents. Um, and then staying healthy, really, as we improve, we, want to, we, we have to maintain that health because we are a little thinner, um, certainly on the inside, for, you know, especially. And so that's really it. Just continue to be honest and reevaluate ourselves on a daily basis and then attack the issues that we see. And, you know, by the end of the year, hopefully we're as good as we can be. Thank you so much, Coach Woodruff, for joining us uh, there during media day. I thought it was really interesting with just the expectations and, and the different things that we might see from Bucknell this year, whether it's in terms of more four guard sets, maybe even some five guard sets here and there. And of course, with the three point line being moved back in women's college basketball this year, it went back in the men's game heading into the 2019 2020 season. But with that going back, how that might change the dynamic of, you know, some maybe marginal three point shooters are going to shoot fewer threes and you know, the ones who can go and shoot are going to, you know, shoot and get their threes. And I think that's what you saw in the men's game in the two years now that the pushback three-point line has been a factor. But uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how that kind of uh, plays out, especially early in the season as players continue to, to get used to that in actual game reps. We've talked a little bit with Trevor Woodruff about the Bucknell Bison specifically, but, you know, this being the season preview on this show, going to have to take a look around at some of the rest of the Patriot League as well. The preseason awards in the league this year, already mentioned Taylor O'Brien, preseason All-Patriot League performer. She was the lone representative for Bucknell on the preseason All-Patriot League team. That's only a five-player team. She was joined by Avery LaBarbera, guard from Holy Cross, Franny Hottinger from Lehigh, Jennifer Coleman, a guard from Navy who's had some injury issues and we haven't really seen much at all, but just an absolutely electric player when she's out on the court. And then there was the preseason player of the year in the Patriot League in Jade Edwards from American. And I think probably if there's one player who is more important to her team's success in the Patriot League this season, I think it's Jade Edwards, an American as she goes this season, so go the Eagles. Uh, I really think that that's going to be how things play out for them. Because American's one of those teams, kind of in the middle of the pack, in my eyes, 
in the Patriot League that were, you know, they can really go either way. They can have a really special season and surprise people. Although how much of a surprise is it that they did get a first place vote in the preseason poll, which we'll get to in just a second. But they could be what we thought they were, kind of in that middle of the pack, part of the upper tier of the league. But, you know, maybe not a team that's going to compete for that Patriot League regular season championship. But we'll see how it goes. There's definitely a lot of question marks, especially after last year, where there were just so many hurdles for everyone. I think going into this season, it's really hard to judge exactly where every team is just because of how uh, bizarre last season really was. So let's take a look at the preseason poll in Patriot League women's basketball now. Bottom three, we'll, we'll kind of go bottom to the top. Bottom three in the league, picked to finish 10th was Colgate. Uh, picked to finish 9th was Loyola. And then Lafayette was uh, picked to finish 8th. Lafayette at 51 points. Loyola, 28. Colgate, 27. So you can see there's kind of a, a big drop-off, and, and that's kind of that bottom tier. But Lafayette seen in the poll as a little bit of a cut above Loyola and Colgate. And frankly, Colgate's really tough uh, to figure out, they're going to have a new coach this year, and they had seven season-ending injuries last year. So I, I think if there's a team that's kind of picked down toward the bottom who could do some surprising, it could be Colgate just for those two factors where last year was such a crazy year specifically for Colgate and a turnover at the head coaching spot. A lot of question marks there. They could be good. They could struggle again and I think that that's an answer that maybe we'll get even in the non-conference based on how they look against some of their out-of-league opponents moving up the chain a little bit you have in seventh place army picked with 72 points navy picked in six with 84 and then holy cross 93 points picked to finish in fifth place in the league I think that that's a little bit low for army I would I would rate them a little bit better. Uh, maybe I'm just higher on Army than most, but you know, with Dave McGarity leaving and Missy Traversy now taking over in her first year as the head coach of the Black Knights, she has a young, talented team. I mean, and this was something even in conversations with Dave McGarity previous to everything was, you know, he wanted to and is leaving that program in a very good place. Sabria Hunter is just going into her junior year, and when she's healthy, she is an all-league caliber player. Um, you know, and I remember her first year at Army talking with Dave McGarity. He compared her to, you know, she could be the next Kelsey Minato, who is probably the greatest women's basketball player in Army's history and one of the best to ever come through the Patriot League. He was really that high on her. Uh, before she went down with an injury that cost her most of her freshman year, but now is coming back. A lot of just intriguing players. They got players who can shoot, and, and I think that that's going to be a team in Army that is is going to be quite good this year. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Army in the mix, um, just depending on on how things eventually start to shake out this season. Then you look at the top four. There were four teams that got first place votes in the Patriot League. You had the defending champion Lehigh, picked to repeat, 
12 first place votes, then Boston University in second, and a pretty much unanimous second, 141 points overall, three first place votes. Bucknell was picked to finish third, four first place votes, 132 points overall, and then American picked to finish fourth, uh, 120 points and one first place vote. already talked a little bit about American, but I think it's pretty clear, you know, obviously Lehigh and Boston University, in my mind, are two kind of very similar teams. Lehigh brings back um, a lot of their core from last year's championship team. Franny Hottinger, just going into her junior year, uh, is a great player. And, you know, talking with some people around that program, they're they're very high on uh, the freshman that had been brought in for this season. Mackenzie Kramer had a great year as a freshman last year for the Mountain Hawks. So uh, I think for sure they're going to be in the mix. But if I were voting in this poll, which I, I don't get a vote, I would give the vote to Boston University. And, and I understand why they were probably not picked to finish first. One, you, you don't necessarily go against the defending champion when they bring back most of the core of their team. But also, obviously, Boston is now without Marissa Mosley, who took the head coaching job at Wisconsin after last year. And so there are some questions. You know, they brought in Melissa Graves, a former assistant at Wake Forest. But when I look at the talent, I think pound for pound, Boston University has as much talent on their roster as any team in the Patriot League. And it's still young, right? You've got Marin Durant and Sidney Johnson and Maggie Pina, who are now going to be juniors after a really strong freshman campaign from those three and then continuing to progress as sophomores. Um, you know, I, I don't know much about the freshmen that are in there now, but remember last year, Kelsey Mingo was really good as a freshman. She's a sophomore now. And then there's also this dark horse that's come in, a transfer from Marist, Caitlin Weimar, who's going to be a sophomore for uh, Boston University. I got a chance to see Weimar a little bit with Maris last year. She was the Metro Atlantic uh, Athletic Conference co-rookie of the year. She was on the all-tournament team with Marist. She was a really good player, six foot four, and about nine points a game, eight rebounds a game. She's going to be a player who is a absolute difference maker, uh, kind of a matchup nightmare uh, for a lot of teams in this conference. And, you know, I think that the addition of her plus the continued maturation of the rest of the team, even with the graduation of Katie Nelson and Marissa Mosley having left and, and gone on to a new job makes Boston, at least in my mind, uh, the preseason favorite in the league. And, you know, we'll see exactly how things shake out because like I said, I, I feel like this is maybe the hardest year to handicap of any, just because Last year was such a unique year. Uh, generally across the league, you don't know what you're going to get out of a lot of the sophomores because they didn't have a typical freshman season. So you could see big steps forward from certain teams. You could see a lot of players progressing throughout the year. And I think that more this year than in the last couple of years, at least, that I've been around, the Patriot League is wide open at the top. I, I don't think there's necessarily a clear-cut favorite. I think you can look at Lehigh, you can look at Boston University, you can look at Bucknell and uh, an American as those top four teams. And I think any one of those four 
could finish in first place this year, and it wouldn't be a shock to many people just because I think because they all have the talent to be able to do it, and it's just going to be a question mark of, you know, how does it all come together for everyone? That's what I'm really looking forward to. I think it's going to be so much fun here this year, and of course, if you're listening to this podcast, the date comes out Tuesday, November 9th. College basketball starts today, and there is plenty of action around the Patriot League and some intriguing non-conference matchups going on this week. We'll just run through some of the highlights after opening day, but uh, just to run down who everyone's first game of the season is. Loyola, Maryland is going to be the first game in the Patriot League. They have a 2 p.m. game on the road at Niagara, uh, taking on a MAC opponent. Army is at home at Crystal. It's a 5 p.m. tip later on tonight. Uh, they're playing Division Three Immaculata, who is typically a really good program, but starting off the season against uh, the Mighty Max. Americans on the road at George Washington, taking on a Washington, D.C. rival, Boston University hosting UMass Lowell, Colgate on the road at Cornell, Navy hosts Georgetown in Annapolis, and uh, Lehigh is playing Division II East Stroudsburg. Tomorrow, obviously, Bucknell taking on Ohio State. Holy Cross also begins its season on Wednesday by uh, hosting Northeastern, another uh, Massachusetts rival. The Bison are done this week after the Ohio State game, but... Still plenty of action around the Patriot League going on this weekend. On Friday night, Lehigh is hosting St. Peter's University. Loyola is taking on George Mason at an 11.30 a.m. game on Friday. Uh, Kind of a field trip school kind of a day. Lafayette is on the road at Pittsburgh. Navy is at Monmouth down the Jersey Shore. And American taking on Marist at 7 o'clock. Then on Saturday, Holy Cross is at Boston College. Colgate hosts UMBC. American plays Vermont as part of a a multi-team event at Marist. So American-Vermont on a neutral court in Poughkeepsie, New York. And Army West Point is at Manhattan. Fun fact, Manhattan College is actually, uh, it's in the Bronx. Finally on Sunday, Boston University is at Princeton. That's a really tough matchup for the Terriers. Should be a really good game there. Loyola hosting Fairleigh Dickinson, who is the next opponent for Bucknell. Uh, That is next Wednesday. Bison on the road at the FDU Knights. And then Lafayette staying out in the Steel City, taking on Duquesne. Should be a really fun week across the Patriot League. A lot of great matchups. And, uh, of course, the big one, as far as we're concerned, is Wednesday, 7 o'clock. The Bucknell Bison taking on the Ohio State Buckeyes in Columbus, You can follow along with that game in several ways. The radio broadcast on 90.5 WVBU in Lewisburg. Online WVBU streaming. Also, on your phones, if you download the Varsity Network app from Learfield, uh, you'll be able to listen uh, to all the games. The games will be archived on that app. It's a really great app, actually, if you're into listening to college sports. The games are archived You can set up push notifications so that when we're getting ready to go live on the air, it'll send you a thing, hey, Bucknell Women's Basketball is getting ready to start broadcasting. It'll be a 6.45 pregame show as we count down to the opening tip of the season against the Ohio State Buckeyes. 
We'll have a whole lot of fun in Columbus and uh, hopefully come on back to Lewisburg feeling good after game number one of the season. So that wraps things up for us here this week on Ballin' with the Bison. Big thanks to Trevor Woodruff for joining us to preview this season. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Till then, I'm Joe Vasile. Thanks for listening.